everyone, Brian Beeler here. Welcome to the podcast. We've got a really great conversation coming up here around what the next generation of accelerators uh, can do for computing. And there's all sorts of challenges with big NVMe SSDs and the legacy RAID cards kind of struggle with, with some of these things. So I've brought on uh, Tony Afshari from PlyOps. How are you, Tony? Great. Thanks for having me. So PlyOps is in this accelerator card category. Um, well, that, that's what I call it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you call it. Um, but generally, set up this this category of products and and the problems that that you and you know to some extent your competitors are trying to solve were kind of raid left off. Sure, uh, I think uh, in general, what we're seeing, what industry has been observing the last few years is the gap between what CPU and software combination can do and the bottlenecks that they run into when it comes to NVMe drives. As NVMe drives are getting more, uh, they're getting higher performance, higher capacity, lower cost, there's a lot of performance that is left on the t uh, on the table, and uh, frankly, it has to do with how um, applications, specifically the the storage engine portion of the applications, where uh, traditionally is the name given to the software that handles I/O going in and out of storage for many applications, and and the limitations of the CPU, RAM, etc. You can try to throw more network, more CPU at this and try to hire an army of software engineers that can that have to rewrite code frequently uh, to remove this bottleneck uh, with the NVMe drives. But ultimately, just like it happened with, with the graphics and GPU and AI ML engines with GPUs and dedicated, dedicated uh, accelerators same the story is the same for storage you come to a point where you need to offload some of these tasks away from the CPU uh, to an accelerator and uh, in that sense platforms like like ours or other computational storage type solutions are coming on board and focusing on solving that problem. Now, the way we did it is we try to make this simple. Uh, we try to tackle specific problems, which is, like you mentioned, rebuild problems of the, of the large drives, striping and data protection of the large drives, but it goes on from there. We've designed a platform that is intended to do many things. Well, let's go back a little bit because you, know, you and I have known each other for a long time. You have background in in some of these cards from LSI and, and days of yore, right? Mm -hmm. Where the rate, the physical RAID card was the de facto standard to attach hard drives to a system or SSDs. As we got to, you know, certainly to. to Gen 3 NVMe SSDs, the RAID card was still the standard way to make that happen. What is it in your view, as I, th I think the inflection was Gen 3 to Gen 4 on, on SSDs, where, where the RAID cards that we were seeing uh, were ultimately blocking. So physical, 
physical RAID cards were blocking, and then you were talking about the software alternatives that um, consume a lot of system resources, CPU, a little bit of RAM, and other things. But but as you know, your background in in hardware, what do you think happened? Is, I mean, do you read it the same way that it was Gen three to four was really the problem? where the RAID card sort of fell out of favor as, as the standard for aggregating storage? Exactly. Uh, the RAID cards fundamentally were designed around a, me a slower media, starting with hard drives. And there was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, slow slowness in the system and with the media itself where you could do things in the background and you could get away with it. Fundamentally, a RAID card still runs an algorithm on some kind of a core, some kind of a compute device on a card. This is hardware RAID you're talking. Mm -hmm. And so you know, you, you, you're executing code on, a, on some kind of a, a CPU locally. And well, there's latencies and deficiencies with that. But as long as the media is slow, starting with hard drive, that's, uh, you can get away with it. And then <clears throat> as the drives gotten better, so we went to SATA SSDs. As you know, SATA SSDs were much better than HDD, but ultimately had some, some restrictions. And then same with SAS SSDs, much better performance, much better resiliency, but ultimately not NVMe. When you when the shift has come to NVMe drives, the whole notion of being able to abstract SSDs with cabling and with uh, hiding in behind RAID cards, etc., has gone away. Uh, because uh, if you try to do that, just like today, perhaps if you look at a a Dell server or an HPE server or many others, they have this tri mode. Uh, scheme where you have to support all three types of interfaces but but with that uh, the, the all of a sudden the it's the Pandora box uh, you know the rate cards has absolutely come to their to their knees when it comes to dealing with NVMe drives so yes I think the transition from SAS and SATA to NVMe was a big deal but even within the NVMe world um, it's to the point where, you know, it's a RAID card can run out of juice after maybe using two NVMe drives, mm -hmm. uh, especially the Gen 4s. Yeah, well, we, we certainly saw that. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, the NVMe drives have a lot of capabilities to, to sap resources. And I suppose that's what is really uh, compelling about your card is a couple things. I mean, first of all, and what we should get into it because we haven't talked about it quite yet. So I've, I've got one sitting here. This is the less pretty version without the uh, the marketing uh, heat shield <laughs> on top of it. Yeah. And uh, and for all of you listening, it's a it's a half height half length card that that uh, is is got a little DRAM module on it, a little SSD and and some capacitors to to hold it up. And then of course an FPGA on here to to handle the logic. Um, tell us, let's start with the card architecture. So, you know, I highlighted the, the key components, but what about the physical card stands out to you? And, and then let's talk about the advantages of being on the, uh, the PCIe bus. 
Sure. So we picked out a standard form factor that can fit in any server. And so we went with uh, half height, half length, and we forced ourselves to stay within that uh, framework. As you mentioned, the, the core of the system is, is, is around what we do and, and our IP and that FPGA today, we're working on an ASIC that uh, is going to come out next year. And the core functions around that product uh, is uh, the data is handed off to us from the host. So when the application is running to uh, the storage, this time it's not pointing out to the SSDs, it's pointing out to us. Having said that, we are not changing anything. We are not hiding the drives. They're sitting adjacent to us. You can still have the out-of-band management of the SSDs. All you're doing is writing and pointing the storage to us. We take care of everything else. So on that card, as you notice, there's uh, SRAM, there's what we call NVDRAM, which is uh, 16 or 32 gig of DRAM that is super cap uh, backed up. And that is only used, the only, the only time we use super caps is during a sudden power down where you have enough energy on the board to completely dump the content of the DRAM or NVRAM onto a, an SSD on the back of that card. But, but uh, outside of that, this is uh, outside of that at sudden power down operations, we, we are not really using the super caps for anything. So we have a very great atomic um, way of receiving data from us, acknowledging them very fast. The, the writes basically hit our NVDRAM and we acknowledge the, the IO back to the host. So there's ultimately the lowest latency possible way you can write to, to a storage. From there, um, we uh, treat everything essentially in a key value pair. You've heard of uh, uh, key value operations. Um, we have two interfaces uh, APIs available to this card. One is directly talking key value uh, with the application. That's a little bit more advanced. That's where you get the 20x, 30x, 50x types of improvements and performance. But to start with, to make this very simple, we also have just a block mode where a block driver is receiving the I.O from the application, fundamentally blocks are uh, in a way can be represented as key value, uh, LBA address and the content of what goes on that LBA. So keys and values. When these blocks come to our domain, uh, once they're acknowledged that they're in our NVRAM, we, in our SRAM even, we have an SRAM and an NVRAM, uh, we then uh, start uh, running them through a compression engine. That compression engine uh, ultimately forces variable size objects depending on uh, the compressibility of the data that a 4K block comes our way, may end up being a 500 byte object, may end up being a 4K byte object, 1K byte object. Um, there we have our patented key value engine where uh, creates, uh, it indexes, it sorts, it uh, garbage collects all of this uh, objects, type, uh, 
very tightly packs them with the resolution of one byte into one large string of data that we ultimately write to the SSDs. And those are typically, could be as big as one gig or two gigabyte of data that we have uh, shaped and ready to push out to the SSD. All of this takes place without the application having to worry about uh, about that. And what it results into is uh, a very streamlined operation with the SSDs, where SSDs almost to the end of their lives have to do no background operations. So there's no uh, there's no pressure and and uh, forcing the SSD controller itself to do a lot of work. So that ends up uh, translating to the highest, ultimate, ultimately the best possible write to the SSDs, meaning always large, always sequential, always NAND aligned, and uh, SSD providing the best uh, latency possible, but also uh, SSDs having uh, the best uh, life expectancy as possible. Well, so I mean, there's a lot there. So you've got the card sits right on the PCIe bus, takes the writes in, acknowledges them very quickly because you've got the the RAM, and then of course it's battery or SuperCAP protected in the event of of power loss, but normal operations does all sorts of uh, data enhancements, coalesces these writes, gives them to the SSDs really nicely, and and you're off and running, which is uh, which is pretty cool. The one thing that you didn't say, which I'm sure you want to say and get to, is that this really opens the door for more dense NAND. So QLC, we've got uh, these, the Solidime 30 terabyte drives, or 30.72 or whatever, um, but Solidime also at FMS was um, showing off their, their penta-level cell drives, and they're quite serious about bringing those to market, uh, and even bigger QLC drives. So the market really wants to go towards more dense, uh, more cost-effective flash, which you know, obviously makes quite a bit of sense. But operationally, it's been difficult for... Uh, organizations to adopt those drives because they have sensitivities. You can't, well, you can, you can random write a bunch of 4K blocks to a QLC drive, but it will be very sad about that. And, and the performance will, will let you know and, and the application will, will, will let you know that, that it does not enjoy that. So your, your card and, and your software really unlock for Solidime with these drives or, or whoever else they could be really unlock some of these NAND technologies and let them be leveraged in a way uh, where the application doesn't notice that that it's, uh, I almost said lower quality, it's not lower quality, it's, it's just lower cost NAND uh, mm-hmm. that, that's more dense. So I mean, to unlock these drives, you really need something like this in the system. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, if you want, as you know, uh, Traditionally, uh, the controller has to, has had to be very complex, using a lot of DRAM. We're talking about SSDs, um, using uh, different bit levels and byte levels to 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 manage data. And 
it ultimately comes to, to, the, to cost. With our solution, we are uh, promoting and, 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 ex, and uh, using or saying that the, the, the bigger the drives, the better, but also the cheaper the drives, the better. Mm -hmm. So because if the less the, man, the SSD controller can touch the data, the better. But what if you have a solution like ours that can manage any SSDs? So in other words, you're not tied to one type of SSD or one vendor. You can mix and match it any way you want. And uh, ultimately, to uh, try to deploy the biggest or the highest capacity SSDs that you can, not having to worry about uh, rebuild time, not having to worry about performance. So the cost uh, per density in the server improving quite a bit. Um, there is hesitation, and we see this with, with our customers. Um, you know, we, we either go into a compute node or in a storage node. In the compute node, people are typically putting in maybe two, at most maybe four type, uh, for the most part, you know, most a lot of customers out there. Uh, and they're stopping at four terabytes or maybe eight terabytes. Uh, the minute you want to go to 16 terabyte or higher, there's this big hesitation about having to worry about uh, blast radius and uh, the rebuild nightmares, even at a cluster level. When when a drive fails, still causes a lot of east-west traffic uh, at, at, at the rebuild time. All of those are uh, reasons people are hesitant to put these big drives like, like the technology from, from Solidine. Uh, QLC is uh, the, 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 the better uh, man technology and uh, less number, you know, going from QLC to, uh, to PLC, etc. Those are good for everybody because ultimately that's how the geom physics geometry works. It's better to bring those devices uh, from the fab, offer them directly to the end users, uh, but but that comes with some with some problems. Uh, if, if if there's a solution out there that can address that without having to change the software, without having to worry about uh, drive drive protection and drive fail protection, um, that is what ultimately the customers are asking. So. Um, we have a very good solution, very good working relationship with Solidime or on their QLC drives. You guys uh, did some testing with 432 terabyte drives. Um, the performance ultimately looks like what you'll see with four 8 terabyte TLC drives. The reason is, uh, as you know, uh, with NAND, uh, if you can be NAND aligned, if you can be avoid random writes and avoid background tasks for the drive controller, um, you've done well. Uh, that is tr certainly true as you move into KLC, as you move into PLC, but also maybe even ZNS drives. So if there's a way you can take all of that out of all of that thinking and figuring out how to use all those drives away from the application and the IT operators, certainly is a benefit to them and that's what we do. Well, yeah, you're right. We did, um, we put uh, your card with 
four, actually five of the, the Solidime drives at different times because we did um, fail a drive, we did a rebuild while running workload against it, uh, and that was uh, pretty compelling too. And the work we were doing, <laughs> we were showing your setup versus MDADM software RAID 0. So like we gave the uh, the SSDs all sorts of advantage in in uh, in software, and the the card. I mean, it just adds a lot of value, right? All the computational stuff you're doing, all the alignment with the drives, uh, is is really quite compelling, uh, and it's really easy. I mean, we we drop in and and I think we were running in you know tens of minutes or less, right? After getting all set up and. And, and software installed and, and easy stuff. Um, you talked before about going to an ASIC. What does that do for you? I mean, this card worked really well. So I'm just curious, kind of the way you guys are looking at the future and, and what else you're trying to do with the card and, and how an ASIC makes a, a difference for you. Uh, it makes a difference in a few different ways. First of all, as we wrap up our uh, customer base, production, etc. Certainly, an ASIC uh, makes a difference in cost and um, density and geometry of the device. So, the more, let's say, we have multiple compression engines, we can throw a lot more engines at that. So, it speeds and feeds, look, cost of uh, deployment, um, managing environmental items like airflow, etc. So, power. Uh, but also form factor. Uh, with an ASIC, we today we are a half-white, half-length card. With an ASIC, we could be placed on a mezzanine, mezzanine type of, of a backplane, uh, or you know, these are the kinds of things that think of us as uh, how storage controllers in the past, in the previous life, were deployed in a system. They were either on a card, or they were on, inside a drive, or they were on a backplane or, or a mess card, having an ASIC helps with a lot of that because uh, ultimately uh, you can have more logical units uh, and more transistors available to you. But more importantly, you can keep the um, you can keep the cost lower and you can keep the uh, power lower. Hmm. So that that's really what we're looking at at ASIC. Um, we will always have an FPGA line, and that helps us with being able to do more, be more aggressive with doing additional computational uh, type functions, getting in quickly, but then always uh, be able to suck those back into uh, our mainline ASIC. Huh, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, I figured it was a, a cost issue, but the uh, additional form factor flexibility and, and power flexibility is pretty important too. And I suppose, I mean, I don't know what the long-term plan is, but ultimately your technology could be embedded on something like a DPU in theory. I'm, I don't want to speak you know, to your roadmap, but to conjoin with some of these other technologies that are, that are revolutionizing the way you know, things work from a composability standpoint or storage access or whatever. So yeah, it's, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, we tested in an Intel server. Talk to me a little bit about lanes because that's one of the big fights between AMD and Intel these days is all the lanes available, right? Mm -hmm. um, we see 
these are U.2 drives, but now in this uh, this current well, the the server refresh that's about to be upon us from both Intel and AMD, we're going to see all sorts of new form factors. E1S is is going to be a lot more prevalent. E3S. Um, server architectures and designs are going to be a little bit different. Your card doesn't really care because it's on the bus, so it doesn't really matter what's plugged in or what the size or shape is. But is there any difference in lanes available to you from Intel and AMD? Is Are there other architectural designs that that the uh, server guys are going through that, that might be impactful or, or interesting for you and, and uh, your card? Uh, interestingly, yes. Uh... Not so much with our card, but with uh, or the number of lanes that are available to our device, but with more importantly, with what you can get out of SSDs. So let's take random writes, for example. If random writes are, you know, it's the most challenging workload essentially with SSDs, as you're familiar with it. Um, what if you can get the same expected random write performance out of four? Gen 4 drives versus 8 Gen 4 drives uh, without us and with us. So if you can do that, you essentially are giving lanes back to the system. So as, as more lanes are becoming available, there are more and more customers for those lanes. So this problem of managing um, the fan out in the system, it will always be there. If there's an ag aggregator, solution like like ours uh, that is intelligently shaping the data to for the most optimal placement on NAND, then we essentially are helping with distribution of those lanes and fan out of those lanes. Form factor wise, you brought up a couple of ones, E1.L, E1.S, the, the OCP form factor, all of those are interesting. It goes back to what we talked about earlier is uh, the way we're looking at it is uh, we can be purely in an aggregator mode, uh, whether that's an adding card, uh, E1.L or, or uh, even a, a E.3 type form factor, or we can be inside a, a, and the SSD itself. Uh, all of those are ways to solve this problem that you brought up, which is how do you manage these links ultimately? Yeah, I mean, we're at the inflection that we're at right now with PCIe Gen 5, you know, on the edge. So most um, SSD vendors have a Gen 5 solution now, not real widely available because there's only so many places to put them since Intel and AMD really need to formally launch their, their next gen uh, CPUs. Um, but you've got that going on. You've got all the new form factors. You've got CXL kind of on the edge, which is another thing that, that may be interesting. Do you guys, what is your take on, on CXL? Does that do anything uh, for you and the company? Uh, we keep an eye on it. We certainly are looking at uh, including that in our, in our, in our products. Uh, right now, I don't see it as a, a main rollout with a lot of products out there, especially storage for some time, maybe in the next two, three years, but we certainly will be ready. Uh, what we see with that is some good impact on how you can do peer-to-peer -peer type operations on the PCIe bus. Uh, 
and um, and then some some way of again managing uh, logic uh, on the PCIe complex. So I we, we we like it. We just don't know when it will get. Uh, I wish I I knew what the future is going to bring. Typically, people are not uh, dead on 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 the exact deployment of these. We've seen that story with ZNS. We've seen it with SRIB, MRI. We, you know, we. It's it will it will come. I just don't know when. So. Well, I mean, CXL is exciting. One one is kind of the the popular ratified version, but I think two's been accepted. They're already working on three. It's so fast that that space, right. and even when you look at like PCIe, we're talking about Gen four to five now. I mean, six is done, they're working on seven, but those are like two-year cycles or longer if you go back to three. Um, It takes this industry so long to adopt new uh, server technologies. So I think we are quite a bit. Someone actually asked me uh, last week, how far away are we from CXL? I said, I think broadly two years at, at least. And uh, I was chastised for that. And I could be wrong. I'm happy to be wrong. But uh, I've just watched all the other technologies come into play. And it just takes a lot of time. It does. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, AMD, I, we didn't even look at it. You have compatibility there too. Does it make any difference to AMD, Intel? No. Uh, we work. We have customers that use both. Um, with AMD, one thing that uh, a lot of people ran into was how to manage NUMAs and uh, and NUMA balancing. Uh, we do that autonomously. We do a good job of figuring that out during a power up. And uh, some of our customers were telling us that, oh, we've used how you manage this elsewhere and we've recommended it to the Nick guys as well. So, um, so I think with AMD, that the only the only thing is you know, how do you how do you get around that? But certainly, once you do, uh, great great CPU, great product, and uh, right now we see both. Uh, we see both of those guys in the deployed in the field, and um, doesn't matter to us. Just like it doesn't matter to us what the NAND type is or what the right. SSD type is. Uh, what we Any say act- is use the cheapest SSD possible, <laughs> the biggest SSD possible. <laughs> cheapest and biggest. Yeah. Uh, any action on uh, on ARM? I know HP launched uh, an Ampere server. Those are gaining popularity, I think, physically in addition to you know AWS's Graviton and all, all that kind of thing for these web apps and, and new uh, born-in-the-cloud type things. Is, is ARM something you guys are looking at too? We will. Uh, we've started to already... Uh, there's a bigger, even bigger momentum in China uh, with some of the hyperscalers there to use ARM-based solutions. So uh, we are talking to some of them. And for us, as long as uh, right now, at least as a pure server CPU, uh, it's still uh, lagging versus uh, x86, but I'm sure it will get there. So for us, it will be just another... um, another uh, compute device or compute capability. Now, having said that, uh, you mentioned DPUs, you mentioned GPUs. So ultimately this uh, 
complex of uh, this complexity needs to be managed somehow. So you, you're not relying on CPU so much. The CPU can be more agile, like an ARM-based solution, but then you will have more dependency on uh, accelerators and aggregators like ours, like you know traditional GPUs, AI, AI ML, ASICs. Mm -hmm. So that orchestrations require some work, but again, the smarter these aggregators and accelerators uh, and the more transparent they are, the better. So uh, that's we we see that more on the storage end. We are we are seeing that a, what we call a smart buff, smart JBuff is something that is uh, eminent, perhaps. So th and that would just run with a DPU with some ARM cores on it that can run an OS, but you know managing the storage with uh, XDP, but the network piece and running the storage stack on an ARM core and a DPU is certainly, uh, we see that, uh, we, we demonstrated something like that with NVIDIA a, few, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. Uh, we see that to be very relevant, uh, but I think it will start maybe in an isolated island like storage, meaning uh, a box that is only running the storage stack, nothing else. When apps are going to run on ARM, again, I wish I knew exactly when, but it, it will come. Well, I mean, we're seeing some of that already, right? With vast data, fungible with their own uh, DPU, vast using Bluefield. Um, really compelling stuff. And it does start to let you take a box of Flash and, I mean, truly be disaggregated and provision over the network to whatever systems need the thing. And... Deep, uh, GPUs as well and and whatever. I mean, we're really progressing to the point where it doesn't make a ton of sense always to have uh, expensive resources, especially GPUs, attached physically to each bare metal machine. I mean, it's it's uh, uh, it, it's a little monolithic in, in the way you lay it out. So mm -hmm. anything you do to enable flexibility on how storage DRAM and, and uh, GPU and other accelerators are consumed, I think is is certainly the, the trajectory of, of where we're going. But you're talking about, too, a lot of ecosystem stuff. So we were working in, in Linux. Um, do you have to get broad hypervisor support? Do you have to get other other things in place to really help this adoption go? I mean, what's, what's the story with uh, VMware, for instance? We're about to hit their event in, in a couple days here. Uh, there's still the OS of the enterprise, if you will. So what, what does that look like to you? Uh, there's still plenty of demand for, for VMware support and ESXi support. So I think that's not going to go away. But there's simplification there as well. Uh, so support for SRIOV is becoming a must, at least for the storage device, uh, for, uh, for, for direct storage access um, in the VM itself. And, uh, but in general, I think, at least in the scale of data centers that we're going and places we're going, um, we see orchestration and containers as as the preeminent and dominant uh, requirement. Hmm. Uh, having said that, I think the support for multiple functions, uh, uh, having 
the, the kinds of requirements that a, a virtualized environment uh, needs is, is a must, uh, whether it's VMware or the local flavor. Yeah, well, I mean, there's certainly, that's another point of disruption we're in the middle of, right, is uh, VMware is transitioning to, to Broadcom, what's going to happen there? We've, we're hearing from a lot of people, they're looking at OpenStack, I mean, there's a thousand different other you know, solutions to look at, but there is a lot of excitement and energy right now around the whole IT architecture, mm -hmm. you have all sorts of new hardware coming, a lot of new software options. Uh, so how do you best leverage those? So that's uh, that's that's part of the trick too, is to figure out where those strengths are to to tune uh, and, and and develop your your investment and and where you go with it accordingly. So speaking of of investment, when you're uh, yeah, I ran into it at uh, Supercompute in St. Louis, and then you know probably one or two other places since then. When you're at events or when you're talking to prospects. I think intuitively they probably understand what you're doing pretty quickly, right? Because it's it's kind of like a better RAID card lets you take advantage of lower cost SSDs and all these other benefits. What's um, what's a, a, a POC look like for these guys? Are they remoting into your boxes? Do they have because they probably don't have these 30 terabyte QLC drives sitting around to test with? How do how do uh, your prospects check out PlyOps and and kind of figure out what you're doing. So uh, we do have an opportunity for certain customers to log into our labs and uh, try it for themselves. And we can tweak the tweak things from a configuration perspective to match what they want the drive capacity, drive type, number of drives, CPU, uh, grade, you know, gold, metal, uh, silver, platinum, whatnot. Um, but uh, for the most part, I would say eight out of 10, they will, maybe even nine out of 10, they, they are deploying the card in their environment specifically. And uh, they're finding out for themselves the benefits. We did make an announcement with PhoenixNap, a great company. Uh, we are offering uh, XDP as bare metal as a service. So, mm -hmm. You can spin up an instance very quickly. They have a couple of different configurations where you choose what, you know, if you have your bring in your own application, you pick the bare metal as a service that you want. You, and in this case, uh, they do offer a SKU with, they call it the accelerated version with, with XDP. Again, you can spin up your Redis instances on that bare metal system and transparently get all the benefits of uh, what we do in that solution that including uh, protection, extension of life, acceleration, uh, higher capacity, all the things that our, our platform does. But again, there's no guessing and needing to worry about, you know, tuning anything. You just simply deploy your application on that, on that system. So that, that as a service thing is something that we're excited about. Uh, we just started it with Phoenix Nap, but I think um, that is a model that will, will do well. Well, I mean, anything you can do to reduce barriers, right? It's always tricky with physical things, especially now with some of the challenges 
I guess it's gotten a lot better in most of the world, but there was a time where data center guys couldn't even get into their own data centers, right? Uh, it was a, the access challenges. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that's loosened up, but again, you know, and anytime you can, can make these accessible otherwise, that's, uh, that's pretty strong. So you referenced it. We did do um, a, a really deep technical dive on, uh, on the card. So we'll link to that in the description and in the video for those consuming the, the podcast that way. Uh, where else can people go uh, to check out uh, the card? Where do you want to send them? Uh, best place is playops.com. Um, and uh, there's a lot of references and stories there and solutions and blogs. And uh, that's a good place to go, including uh, uh, how to basically take this for a test, test drive. And uh, we have uh, loaner cards. We have... Uh, like I said, a system in our lab that people can log into, but ultimately the Phoenix NAP partnership and bare metal as a service is also built. All right. We'll put links to both of those, the the solution in the bare metal and your, your website. And when you talk about loaner cards, I still have this one here. I don't think uh, you even asked for it back yet. So we'll probably hang on to it for a little while longer and, and keep playing. But uh, yeah, I mean, from our standpoint, it was easy to drop in and use. Performance was great so many more benefits than software rate and and really non-blocking the way hardware rate is if i had mm -hmm. to summarize the whole thing in in 18 seconds that would be it but anyway this is great uh thanks for for doing this appreciate you joining and uh, uh look to see forward to seeing you soon same here thanks very much for uh, uh your good words and services and appreciate all the all the uh, attention you've given us